Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone whose new favorite word is dadvocate, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know around the tech industry. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair, someone I've known a long time, I'm not sure how long, uh, but a long time, Alexis Ohanian, the co-founder of Reddit, who's now an investor at a firm he co-founded called Initialize, and he also manages it called Initialize Capital. He's also an advocate, and if you insist, advocate for national paternity leave and has lobbied members of Congress to support federally provided paid family leave for all parents. And oh yes, he's also married to one of the most famous women on the planet, Serena Williams. Alexis, welcome to Recode Decode. Hey, thank you for having me, Karen. So I, well, the reason I wanted to have you, I do want to talk about investments and obviously this Twitter news today yes. about, since you found it, co-founded Reddit, and you're still quite involved. Are you involved? Yeah, with it? well, I, I helped come back to lead the turnaround in 2014. Right. And then after I came back from paternity leave, mm-hmm. I moved back onto the board in order to focus on And so Steve Huffman is Steve's running, running he's their co-founder. Anyway, but what really attracted me is this dadvocate idea, and I make fun of it, it's sort of like reportrepreneur or, you know, any it's, of those sorts. I, I think it's a good little the ambassador, you heard of man. I have not heard that one. That one's a little crazy. Men cringy. helping women in the workplace. Yeah. You're a man ambassador. They yeah. have it hard. That one feels forced, though, because of the N versus the M. I see. Okay. Whereas Dadvocate, I didn't come up I with like it. Dadvocate. I like Dadvocate. I like it. I actually nice. like yeah. So explain what, I, I just kept reading about you. You're an active Twitter user. You mm. post pictures Love of your Twitter. daughter and your family. Mm-hmm. But you then started writing about paid parental leave. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about how you got involved in this. Sure. I, you know, really did not think much about it as an issue, sadly, until I saw what an impact it had on my own life. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, I know this is the way things go pretty often. I don't mind selfishness. Uh, good. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but, you know, at the time, so when I came back to Reddit in 14, there was no HR, there was, there was a lot to, to fix. And we were able to convince slash trick uh, a woman named Caitlin Holloway to come and join us and, and said to her, basically, look, there's a million fires help us by building out the HR and people and culture team and let's go. And she took that on. She implemented a whole slew of policies, one of which included, it was uh, 16 weeks of paid family leave. And at the time, it just felt like, okay, this seems like table stakes for trying to hire in tech. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't think much beyond, like, that seems reasonable. Yeah, tech is relatively good on a maternal family. We're, and we're pretty good on, 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 on dads, But too. Google was one of the first. I, yes. When I had my first child and, and then second child, Google, for example, my, my ex was working at Google, and there was tons of leave and tons of stuff that was put in place by people like Susan Wojcicki and Sheryl Sandberg and others. And credit where it's due, right. those folks have put in a, a sort of set of precedent now where if you want top-tier talent, mm-hmm. that's what they expect, mm-hmm. and so you got to offer it. And now even, I mean, and this covers adoptive parents, this goes even longer if you're uh, the birthing mother other and have complications. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's the new table stakes for talented employees. What did you put in? I at, did my whole 16 weeks. No, and, you did. No, no. When oh, you were at Reddit, you yes. put in. Well, that was the, all Caitlin. All Caitlin. But she put in four, how many? 16 four months. 16 four weeks, months uh, of minimum. Whichever parent, correct? Of paid family leave, either parent. 
Yes. Right. And currently, across the country, that's not the case. There is Four no months minimum. is not across the case. Absolutely it, not, it's, sadly. It's, what is it, two, six weeks, six, and then you were six weeks on? If you're lucky, the, the most jarring statistic I've learned in this process is that one in four American women are back to work two weeks mm-hmm. after giving birth. Right. And, and it becomes really horrifying when you consider that about a third of, of babies are born via C-section now. So you've got a material number of women who are coming back to work two weeks after who still have wounds, mm-hmm. who are still recovering from a significant surgery, not to mention welcoming new life into their family. Right. And, and that sort of becomes the wedge to start the conversation and advocate not just for maternity leave, but also paternity mm-hmm. leave. But let's and, get the things for people, for people who don't know. They're, mm-hmm. on, the, on, on the Family Medical Leave Act, People get, is it six weeks, and then they can take six weeks of disability in, in some fashion. In some fashion, right. yes. And, and they, that, ha, they have to j- mash them together. So it's typically three months. And that's not pay. extended to every exactly. nece- every employee necessarily. And, and some states have tried to fill in the gaps with state plans. Right. I think there's right. like six or seven that do right, it. Right, exactly. But there's certain amounts, but not by any means for the women. And for men, mm-hmm. there's... None. Almost none. Nothing. No. So it's it, and behind Europe by a significant amount. Behind every, it, it's basically every developed nation. Yeah, and it wasn't until you know I, I made uh, a little bit of press just uh, before I went on leave, saying that I was taking my full leave because that was a rare thing for a tech executive mm-hmm. to do, a male right. tech executive to do. But I wanted to sort of give air cover to other men in the industry as well as at, at Reddit, and. Then it was only because, or it was really because of the complications that my wife faced afterwards Mm -hmm. and the traumatic experience that all of that was in spite of— Explain what happened. You wrote about it in the New York Times. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and and my wife—not every, uh, you know, family has a HBO documentary crew following Mm -hmm. them, but— and my wife very, very candidly and openly shared that after the the birth of our daughter— um, she has a history of of blood clots and and endured a couple of um, of pulmonary embolisms um, that nearly killed her had they traveled all the way up. And um, she had multiple surgeries to deal with. So we, we she had an an unexpected C section and then multiple surgeries thereafter in order to treat that and fix that. And the complications thereafter actually had a, a stint placed in uh, one of her veins to to basically capture clots for the next few months just Mm -hmm. while she was recovering with limited mobility. And people who don't know this, pregnant women have more of a a likelihood of a pulmonary embolism. Mm -hmm. And even her story, as she told it, I think it was to to Vogue or Vanity Fair, that was the first time we learned about the the black maternal health crisis in this country Mm -hmm. because there is a real epidemic of of women of color, black women in particular, whose pain is not recognized in the same way as any others. And the result is this sort of survival rate or the success rate of black women who go in to go have a baby is significantly lower. Mm -hmm. And we only learned about this because she told her story and and basically social media coalesced around all these news articles and reports that this body of work Mm -hmm. that I'd hope, you know, actually was a subject of some of our talks in DC and and that there are there's a lot of work to be done there. But I watched the effect it had on our family, even though we had money, we had support, we had family, we had everything you could hope for. And to think that I or someone else at my company or at a fellow American would have to decide between their job and being with their family in that moment and in the weeks and months thereafter seemed unconscionable. And that is when it really crystallized for me that it needed to be an issue, not just so that I could make sure every one of my employees had access to it, but that every single American did. And that's what, for the last two weeks, on top of being a VC, uh, this is like my, my side hustle, mm-hmm. uh, and I've found a growing support from people 
all over the country. I mean, and the even, group is called, what is it called, Plus? Plus. So credit to Katie Bethel, who runs that. And she's been advocating for this issue long before I got involved. Um, she had me on stage at the Commonwealth Club. And in the months, I mean, months after I came back, I was regularly doing press, part of my job. And she was the first person, though, to ever ask me, and she asked me on stage, how do you struggle to have it all as a new father and a business leader? <laughs> and and the entire audience laughed yeah. because they saw what she was doing and they realized that, yes, if you're a, a woman, a, an executive, and you've just had a child, that is the first question you are asked and you're asked it's it It's also par for the course that you're not going to be able mm-hmm. to keep up. But what about the business dads? Uh, yeah. I, I, in months of doing press, had never been asked, Alexis, how are you going to struggle to balance between mm-hmm. being a father well, and, and having a career? You know, talk about this a little bit because one of the things is like we don't have enough for women who actually have the children. Um, talk about it in terms of why it's important because in the most part, and I know Sheryl Sandberg wrote this about this in Lean In, that even though Dave was a great dad, he still didn't do half the work. And he mm-hmm. still, you know, and it was, and he and he, she was lucky in the fact that he was very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about why, because most women are like, why do I care if this guy gets time off, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I certainly hope that none of them are in scenarios mm-hmm. like my wife was where they mm-hmm. just physically could not move right. in the weeks after. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the role of, of the partner, my role was was not just with Olympia, but also to, to support my wife. But even in the scenarios where let's say everything goes perfectly, uh, you're still welcoming a new person into your household who is going to turn, you know this, every parent knows this, turns everything upside down mm-hmm. and changes everything. And while I wouldn't pres- Describe for any family what the balance should be. Every family should have the option to find that equilibrium for mm-hmm. them. And it is clear that, I mean, we're seeing research now that shows having dads take paternity leave is not just better for the health of the child and the support of the child, but also the health of the, the birthing mother, mm-hmm. uh, both physically and, and emotionally. And that matters. And divorce rates. Everything. Divorce rates go down. It, it is, we're seeing more and more evidence for why if we really care about the family in this country, we should be investing in paternity leave and we should be encouraging dads to have the courage to take that time. What, talk about the stigma. You talked about that in oh, the yeah. article. Oh, yeah. It's real. And and I I mean that's why I took the leave in the first place because I wanted other men to see it and be like all right well no one's going to accuse Alexis of not being an ambitious go getter uh, if he can do it I can do it I really think you know my I mean my dad took one day off I was I was born down here in St Vincent's Hospital here in New York and he took one day it was a vacation and he went back to work and I what did I, your dad do. A travel agent, mm-hmm. and miraculously still has a travel agency. He, now st- he started <laughs> a little one. one. I know, I know. He just does cruises. You're doing so your best to put demo. him out of business. I, well, the Hitmonk thing was a little awkward, yeah. but he 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 got over it. Uh, he actually got the last laugh. Really, he's still around. Yeah. <laughs> but the the the, <laughs> the move there is, I think there's a generation of dads now who see a path towards having a bigger role in their families, and. Hopefully, more and more bosses are putting these plans in place. And then, if they're men, taking advantage to destigmatize. Because, look, we know it should not be a liability just to have a uterus in the workforce. But today, it is. And if enough men take leave, if men take leave just as often as women do when they have kids, it destigmatizes that. Did you do that yourself when you were an up and coming? Entrepreneur, because you know I want to get to the go go. Oh, I only had one kid. Right, I know that. But before, <laughs> did you did you think you didn't no. think about this at all? Obviously, no, but I, how I, did you think when if men took time off or um, you didn't think about it because you were part of this sort of young go getting yeah. gang? The reality was I did not 
I just did not think of it. Mm. I was oblivious to it, mm. honestly. Mm. And I conceded, right, it's sad that it had to be something that affected me for me to really deeply care. Mm -hmm. But I've found now, you know, especially in the last couple of years, more and more fathers um, stepping up and not just— not just taking the, the leave if they're lucky enough to even have it, but talking about it and normalizing it and and even just normalizing dadhood. And that, that I do think is one of the best parts of social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's an entire subreddit called Dad Reflexes, uh -huh. which is hundreds and thousands of people every day <laughs> okay, what is it? It's sharing it videos. It could be bad. What is no, that? No, it's, it's delightful. It's okay. They're sharing videos and GIFs of dads, like, basically catching their kids before falling off a sofa. Oh. Like, the, 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 the dad reflex is wait. the, like, you're— your, there's, Wait, there's an entire— Yes, an entire community. <laughs> yes, I will, I will share a few of these gifts with you, and you'll Thank see them you. floating around Twitter. Yeah. And it's silly, but it's a way to show this kind of tenderness and love. And it's, like, it's creating this meme of being a dad that— never could have traveled in the past because you wouldn't have made a movie about it. You wouldn't right. have, you wouldn't have even gone to poker it, night it, it, and it talked about it. It is interesting because there is that it naturally, um, you know, I'm gay, so it's not the same thing because it's, it's much more equal with two mm. women for sure. Uh, there's no question. But, but watching the relationships between my straight friends, it is unusual. The women absolutely take the front role, even if it's mm. the most ambitious woman mm. and, and, and even if a woman has a bigger job than the man and stuff like that. And so I've always found it interesting and especially when you talk about dad reflexes, I remember being upstairs with the dads because the moms wanted to drink below. Mm -hmm. I had a brunch. Mm -hmm. And I was watching the dads. And actually, what was interesting is they hadn't been socialized, even in San Francisco, in this most, you know, San Francisco of cultures. They mm -hmm. hadn't been socialized to be the principal caregiver, mm -hmm. which was really interesting. And I remember watching one kid. Had, I had very steep stairs in this house in California. And I was watching. I was like, is that dad going to notice that kid's headed toward the stairs? It wasn't you. Um, but <laughs> uh, And it was sort of like, I don't think he's going to notice. And I was waiting to see how close the kid— And, of course, I was right there. I wasn't mm -hmm. going to let the kid mm -hmm. tumble down the stairs. But it was really interesting. And I thought, wow, they. I, I was like, what happens in our culture where that's not the case? And, you know, and obviously sexism and mm -hmm. just generalize that women also seem to be— have always sort of been the caregiver. You also—there's a reason for this long story— is you also got back and forth on Twitter about the idea of men flexing other things, which is I'm working 24-7. Yes, hustle porn. So talk about hustle porn. Yeah. Talk about hustle porn. Well, I like calling it out because I have— has, Explain has, what it is. Well, Explain what it, it is glorifying sort of self-destructive or absurd amounts of work, usually on social media, as though that is the success itself. And I think it's stupid for two reasons. One, right, as someone who started and now been the first investor in a half dozen or so billion-dollar companies, I can say unequivocally— to be able to actually create massive business impact has nothing to do with ability to post hustle porn memes on social media. Mm -hmm. And and just as a matter of practicality, like that does not really advance your business. Mm -hmm. And instead, it promotes a really toxic idea that working yourself to death, sacrificing your emotional and physical health, all those things, it, it, it promotes this false idea that those are actually good. But that's a huge idea in tech. Is that like, it I'm is. staying up all night, I'm yeah. coding all night. I'm and and it's, it's so absurd. And so I... I Where does I, it come from? Is it real in any way from your perspective? I think, I think part of it's... Uh, just sort of a natural uh, machismo and a kind of toxicity of just misplaced young people. And I think, though I though I was not a, a hustle pornographer myself, mm -hmm. I definitely worked hours 
during my 20s and especially in creating Reddit, where if I had just been a little bit more self-aware, I would have gone to sleep at 1 a.m. instead of 5 a.m. Because that four hours worth of work I did because it made me feel good mm -hmm. was so worthless. <laughs> when I got up in the morning and I actually looked at either the code I had written or the emails I had sent or the design work I had done, it was all pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, just being more self-aware about one's own sort of uh, diminishing marginal returns after a certain hour. Um, and not to mention, I mean, if I had invested more time in myself uh, emotionally, uh, sort of mentally, whether it was, I mean, I we went through a lot during the founding of Reddit. Um, I regret not working with a therapist sooner. I regret not working with a coach sooner. I regret spending years just eating garbage food. Mm -hmm. Counts that now, doesn't I can get away with back then, but it does count now that I'm, I'm 36 now. Yeah. And especially now that I have a front receipt to greatness. Mm -hmm in the most objective thing there is, yeah. right? Sport is the most objective industry you have. You have wins right. and losses, right? I see firsthand that she, my wife, Serena Williams, needs her rest as much or more than the the work that she puts in when right. she's working. Recovery yeah. is as or more important to an athlete than the work they do in practice. Or she's the work not working all night, work. hitting tennis yeah. balls all night. And in fact, one of her superpowers is her ability to shut her mind off from that work part and be fully immersed in whatever else she's doing. And these days, it's usually spending time with me in Olympia, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But it is a, a it was a huge reality check for me because I spent a, at least a decade of my life misapplying so much time and sacrificing. Why, why is that in tech? That, it really is more than any other. I mean, except for doctors, finance, and then it's just ridiculous. Finance and, and medicine. I th well, I, I finance, think I guess, you, yeah. You but get Tech is more than any of them, I think, because it's also bragged about. Yes, well, we— Doctors are like, this sucks. Indeed. <laughs> and and I think, well, because we are also plugged into social media and we're all two seconds away from our Twitter accounts, it's easier to gush about it. But I already see that culture changing. I really do. Because once people realize most of the biggest promoters of hustle porn are mm -hmm. actually in the business of just selling you a lifestyle mm -hmm. or selling you a perception, then uh, then you realize, oh, well, wait. Now, if I actually look at the folks who are, who are really building spectacular businesses— they're all talking about the same thing this Alexis guy is. So mm -hmm. I, I think I think that culture is shifting. All right, we're going to get to investments and that idea of what tech is becoming in a second. But sure. what? So you are advocating. What exactly are you advocating for? I would with, like with your group federally mandated uh, six months of paid family leave and um, for everybody for men and women, adoptive families, and that is the bar. And mm -hmm. I I think we get there, and we're still going to see companies finding ways to sort of win that arms race to mm -hmm. out sort of benefit one another mm -hmm. for recruiting purposes. But so this we need is that six floor. months, not disability, mm -hmm. not just six straight months, up. straight up yeah. leave. And, and we've seen some states, uh, New York, I mean, California, California. These, these states won't surprise you, but they've, they've implemented these kinds of social insurance policies mm -hmm. where you can get folks, uh, and I, now the paying for it is going to be the yeah, biggest so question, right? Yeah, so what is right? the paying for it, Elizabeth Warren? Payroll tax is basically, and this was the best part of the D.C. trip, mm -hmm. We met with senators and and representatives who who basically were all for it, including Republicans, and even some Republicans in the Senate who had brought or will bring forward bills on it, which is great. Mm -hmm. The big point of dissension now is how do we pay for it? Progressives tend to favor things like a payroll tax. Uh, Republicans would like to see either you draw down Social Security or other things that we're not spending new money. I don't want to settle. Um, ultimately, I think the end goal, like I said, is, is six months and a new program. But I'm going to leave it to the lawmakers and to figure out how to get there. That? Plus, are the experts? They are saying by 2022, um, it will happen. That is their goal for their organization. 
I am relentlessly optimistic on this stuff. Any presidential candidate backing you on this? Uh, well, that's the exciting part. I think every single presidential candidate, I might be wrong. At least well, six. Not Trump. There's a lot of them. I'm guessing. Well, maybe. We have not seen, we have we'll not seen Hillary campaign in 2020. Ivanka has been very publicly supportive of it, mm-hmm. of paid family leave. Um, but uh, but every Democratic presidential candidate has some plan, I think, without exception. I mean, Gillibrand actually ran her campaign pretty aggressively mm-hmm. on it pretty early. And I know, I think almost without exception, every every presidential candidate has it now, or Democratic. All one. right. So, uh, so you're, you're going to continue to do it. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. Let me, let me put it this way, Kara. You know, in tech, uh, I got a little cocky feeling good about four months of paid family leave, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at Initialized or at Reddit. And then I saw the headline, Two months ago, Sweet Green mm-hmm. Salad Company. Yeah, five months. Yep, five months of paid family leave from the folks making your salads. I can't praise them enough. Yeah, uh, because That's it just shows. Company. Right, yeah. this is not just engineers who's mm-hmm. you know uh, sort of return on time is you know a thousand x or what have you. Like they are, the folks making your salads have access to this, and I think it's it is so impressive and so absolutely right. And uh, and we need to keep competing with each other until we can at least get to six months from the private side because there's already right. demand from the public and then eventually government catches up. All right, we're here with Alexis Ohanian. He's the co-founder and managing partner at Initialize Capital. We've been talking about paid family leave, which he's become a big and vocal advocate of. When we get back, we're gonna talk about tech and investments after this. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
We're here with Alexis Ohanian. He's the co-founder and managing partner of Initialized Capital. We've just been talking about his efforts on paid family leave, including especially for fathers who mm-hmm. do not take it and do some people get it but do not take it. And certainly the stigma of men staying home with their kids is high. It still remains high yeah. in this country, not in other countries. But you know what? You know what I love too? Mm-hmm. We had uh, Chance the Rapper canceling mm-hmm. tour dates recently because mm-hmm. he wanted to be on paternity leave. Right. And and actually I'm wearing my Nats hat right. tonight. The guy who closed out. The game. I don't even know what <laughs> that means. Night. My kids Go were doing Nats, it indeed. last night. Uh, Daniel Hudson, who mm-hmm. essentially closed out the World Series, victory for the Nats, famously took his paternity leave, missed game one of the NLCS to be there for the birth of his third daughter. And his team rallied behind him when he said he was going to do it. There were a couple of idiots on Twitter who said that it was going to ruin everything and that he was being selfish. And those fools were promptly um, uh, at replied. But it was just such a poetic end to mm-hmm. that World Series because, look, I'm just saying, it's not only good for your company and for the country, but it also helps win World Series. All right. So okay. take That's paternity okay. leave. Okay. All right. So <laughs> talk a bit about the, the changing tech because, again, as we talked, mm-hmm. hustle porn, this idea that you have to work all night, it's sort of a toxic male culture, mm-hmm. uh, heavily uh, male-dominated, white male-dominated. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about since founding Reddit. Now, for those who don't know, Alexis is one of the co-founders of Reddit. He also worked on Hipmunk and other com- many other companies, uh, but Reddit's pretty much your most famous, the famous thing that you started. Yeah, and I, you know, I also had the privilege of, of coming back to help lead the turnaround in fourteen. But this is like asking Elon about PayPal. Uh, I, I ask him about PayPal. <laughs> it's right. called Me.com, actually. Oh, wow, I covered it for wow. the Wall Street Journal. Okay, all right, um, you win. He didn't. Uh, he uh, he didn't have. Um, he then merged with PayPal, and they were they were hated rivals during oh. that time. And I think I wrote a piece on their hated Today rivalry. I learned, and then and they had offices right near each other. It was crazy. It was. It this was is why of, you're an OG. That's right. Uh, okay. So well, so you yeah. talk a little bit about where what you spend your time doing. Then you do, and you are I'm fully initialized. In I'm on the board at Reddit these days, right? Um, but after my paternity leave, uh, initialized became the full time full time. All thing, right. Explain so. what you're doing there. You have quite sure. a few interesting investments. Yeah, I mean we're we're the f- very first investors and founders, my partner Gary Tan and I, we wanted to do early stage venture differently. And by that, we we built software that helps run every element of the firm because we're first and foremost product people. Um, and we built a great team of partners who are looking for opportunities maybe where others aren't. And, and we feel like there's a, huge oppor- there's a huge potential here because it's very hard to be high conviction when a company is just getting started. But if you can recognize what that potential looks like, you can do very well. And and I'm it's, I'm seeing a f- sort of family tech trend that has mm-hmm. emerged that I'm delighted by, mm-hmm. and that also is it, it doesn't hurt that um, this has become such a big issue. Uh, there's a there's a, a founder in particular based out of Chicago, uh, Allison Robinson, who's the founder and CEO of Mom Project, mm-hmm. who simply said, "Look, there is a market." here of talented professional women. Almost half of women Mm -hmm. don't return to the workforce after they have a baby. And that is a ton of talent that is being squandered. Mm -hmm. And her proposition was, if I just build an online marketplace for those talented women to say, here I am, here's what I can do, and then connect with the Fortune 500 and say, hey, Fortune 500 companies, you need more project-based work done. Here is where you can find that talent, whether it's marketers, lawyers, comms work, Mm -hmm. finance, any, any of these professionals. And uh, so jobs network and and, and it, it's this flexibility in the in both the culture and I think that 
technology provides us, right? We're, our, we're always on our smartphones. We have so much autonomy over when our groceries show up and when that car service shows up mm -hmm. that it almost, it makes sense to want to have that kind of autonomy over work we do, even if we're a professional and especially if we're a new parent. Uh, dads can also use mom project, but the you know the mm -hmm. majority, is, the vast majority, are still women. And there's economic opportunity here that's being squandered every single year, uh, simply because that marketplace has not been able to exist in software. And now mm -hmm. it does. And and it was actually my partner, Alda Lou Dennis, who spotted this company, saw the potential. You know, we rallied. Uh, uh, rally the team together pretty quickly to run a vote. How much do you have under under investment? You, uh, half a billion dollars. A lot of money then for a small, yeah. smallish firm. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're. And this is early stage. Early stage. So you got to find a lot of seed. companies. Well, we try not. We 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 tend to do about twenty investments a year. Mm -hmm. We know we have this amazing opportunity because. At that earliest stage, you really need to know what it takes to build a product and a business. And it's a lot easier when you have a whole slew of data and trends and you can have analysts do a bunch of reports for you and tell you what to invest in. But um, we rely pretty heavily on just spending time with founders and trying to learn about industries and, and hopefully being So talk delighted. a little bit about the startup scene right mm -hmm. now and what it's like to be a VC. Obviously, SoftBank just had a massive... Oh, yeah. You know, I, pretty, I, which is, you're not up spicy. In, spicy, pretty we, spicy. We feel, put it. we feel an effect of that, but it's really just because early stage valuations have crept up because folks like SoftBank are putting so much money to work later. Mm -hmm. We always push founders to focus on margin because it seems like a pretty obvious thing. That sort of new realization happening later stage now because of the WeWork disaster hasn't got us thinking too differently because we always were looking at pretty high margin but software. Talk about businesses. the startup scene now, because a lot of people uh, feel that it's moribund, that it's not, there's not a lot of startups. I just had an uh, interview with Ben Horowitz. He's like, no, it's not the case at all. There's no, all kinds of there's different amazing things. I agree so with So talk about where, what it's like now and what's changed. You know, the biggest change is founders have much more perspective than, for instance, I did like 13 years ago when I started. Um, and by that perspective, I mean, uh, you know, specifically, we have a company, Numero, that asked me well, it asked us specifically who our investors were and and we, you know, who invested and initialized. I was like, oh, I've never been asked that before, but I'd love to tell you here, these endowments and these foundations, um, because they wanted to make sure the sources were things that they would feel good about mm -hmm. should we as a firm, as an investor, ever come under scrutiny and we were leading their seed round. And I was like, oh, interesting. All right, this was having running a VC firm with integrity didn't seem like a competitive advantage when we started doing it a few years ago, but now it seems like it is. Furthermore, this company insisted on having a cap table that was gender balanced and reflective of sort of eth American uh, ethnic breakdown mm -hmm. in their cap table. They were deliberately choosing investors based on having this representation because they thought in the long term, it was going to make business sense for them to have a company that reflected the country that they were serving, especially because they're doing um, essentially fundraising software and technology. And they thought this is so core and so vital to so many nonprofits or politicians. We need this in our own house to look right. Yeah. And so I, I feel like this is something that's only come about now in the last few years. And I think it is, I mean, that that's still the exception, not the rule, but it's reflective 100%. I don't think of more founders thought thinking of this about it. At all. It. It's, no. it comes from the companies. And that is heartening because great founders have actually more leverage than they realize, even at the earliest stages, certainly as their company starts showing traction. But if you are a hot deal, uh, you actually have a, a lot 
of power over investors. And I think founders are waking up to that and starting to to both sort of set a higher standard and, and also just demand more from the people they take money from. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing. I think that starts to curb a lot of the worst problems in tech. It still doesn't solve anything, but it actually starts to Doesn't it come really from things. the venture capitalists, though, with the way these, these firms are formulated, the way mm-hmm. they don't have a pretty diverse partnership? It Yes. How do you think about it? What is your record here? Uh, I mean, so 40, I think 40, a little over 40% of our partners are women. So Mm -hmm. it's still not half. We are still, I mean, relatively a a small firm in terms of headcount. But the challenge for us is going to be, I think, like a lot of these other firms that are new and emerging, is to set a new standard because— the incumbent firms that, yes, created a lot of the cultural problems, which are like the old school finance. Like, I mean, the history of VC is just a bunch of finance folks who yeah. actually were just too radical for the finance world. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so it created a legacy there that still carries. But I think for the new generation of VCs, at the end of the day, we want to win. And by winning, we want to invest in great companies. And I, I think it's a symbiotic relationship because these great founders are actually going to have higher standards and we are going to see that higher standard as a competitive advantage because it also it results in us having fewer blind spots like this is again did you have them when you were a founder no you just took whatever money you got yeah i and but it was also 2005 i mean our we were in the first y combinator demo day Mm -hmm. which is now the most prestigious accelerator blah 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 there were like 12 people in the audience and it was Mm -hmm. just paul's rich friends like Mm -hmm. it was like a dentist and a lawyer and just the ecosystem was just way way less smaller and just right. way less sophisticated. Right. Now there's tons of money. So so talk a little yeah. bit more about the startup yeah. scene. Where are the fresh companies coming from and what are the trends? What are the big trends? M- majority are, of our portfolio, at least now, even though we're primarily based in SF, are outside of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. I mean, uh, Kim Mai Cutler, who's one of our partners, she is the expert on all things Bay Area housing and policy. And she's our like it's, it's such a delight to be able to work with her because she is able to forecast and sort of let us know really what's going to happen. And unfortunately, it's not very promising uh, these days because the, the cost of living has gotten so absurdly yeah, she's expensive. she discusses a lot of problems of living in the Bay Area. Very active about how, um, and, and she's born and raised in the mm-hmm. Bay Area, so she yep. cares very she's deeply about that. very tech. interesting pieces, a big long piece. Yeah, and, and the reality though is cost of living has gotten so absurdly high. And especially because L.A. is such a delight to live in uh, and is an easy plane ride. Not today, but— <laughs> Not today, no, yeah. yes, uh, notwithstanding fires and, and all the other environmental trauma. But generally speaking, um, because it's such a quick plane ride away, has benefited tremendously in the last few years and will continue to as SF gets so prohibitive. New York, where we are right now, also continues to thrive. And those are the two areas where we just see the most growth. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't see it stopping because SF is is sadly becoming a less and less desirable place to live, not just for cost, but also just quality of life. So more around the country. You're Indeed. talking about still big cities, not Chicago is not— Kansas City. Starting, I mean, we got my project in Chicago, but right. it's still, it, yes, it, it's still the, Austin, the primary York, coastal Los Angeles, southern cities. Yeah. Atlanta has a great burgeoning tech scene. And what about the money? Where, where How is the money flowing? There, because, they're, you know, speaking of not wanting to take money, a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, oh, Saudi Arabia, not so. I was at a dinner yeah. party where they were stack ranking evil countries where they got money from. <laughs> they're wow. like, oh, you can, Singapore, we need the Singapore money. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, Someone actually said, crazy rich agents, Karen. I was like, oh, God, I really what? want to hit you with this lamb chop I've got. Oh, my God. The yeah. dinners you go to. Karen. I know. Stack ranking <laughs> oh, evil empires that give them money. Wow. Uh, I, I think, look, there's the the world, and this is one of the 
when I'm having drinks with my childhood friends, mm -hmm. like my buddies from kindergarten, like, uh, and none of them are doing VC, uh, thankfully for, for them. They're just shocked by how awash in capital the world is. And mm -hmm. that is the reality. At the highest levels, there is so much money out there looking for, for yield, looking for mm -hmm. return, mm -hmm. that if you have a compelling proposition, you don't need to go to those places to raise money because there actually are tons of resources. At least that's what we found. But look, they'll they'll continue to exist, and I guess we'll continue to have these dinners where people are measuring their yeah. investors' evilness. But we're so, really but tons lucky of money, tons of capital around. Yeah, and so talk about where the promising companies are, because a lot of people feel there mm -hmm. is, it hasn't been like there was a classroom in it there with Uber, it, whatever you think of these economic mm -hmm. models, Pinterest, mm -hmm. um, Airbnb. There was sort of a boom in these billion-dollar mm -hmm. unicorns. There haven't. What do you? Where do you see the real promising stuff? Ben was not talking about anything to do with social media or anything else. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my partner Gary had this observation a few years ago that computers could now see, mm -hmm. and and these were a few different trends. Part of it was machine learning technology was getting good right. enough, and there was enough power to do a lot of this stuff on site. Cameras were getting cheap enough and high quality enough to be able to do it. And so we have a few companies in the portfolio. Um, Standard Cognition is going head-to-head -head with Amazon Go and allowing retailers mm -hmm. to just outfit their stores with self-checkout. So you mm -hmm. can just look at some Doritos, take them off a shelf, and walk out. Mm -hmm. That and many companies like it that are using this kind of computer vision tech are without a doubt going to be the next sort of big trend within uh, the industry. Mm -hmm. Because we're seeing... I mean, this is going to be a sea change, not just in the next 10 years, but literally in the next years as these start to roll out um, because the cost of doing it has gotten so low and the, the success rate. The, these these cameras that, that Standard Connection can just set up actually have a higher success rate than a human cashier. So mm -hmm. a human cashier is going to mischarge more often than these cameras And this cameras is beyond will. people doing their own checkout, oh, yeah, which always is, takes me 16 years to do. You don't need to do that anymore. No, <laughs> no. it's going to be you're going to walk in, grab the Coke and walk out and right. they'll charge you for it. Via whatever's in your pocket. Whatever. Yeah, you'll have you'll have scanned a smartphone, and and this is one too where to give you an example of the new generation of founders. Uh, this was probably a couple of years ago when we uh, led their seed round. They said even back then they will never take facial recognition data because they don't need it mm -hmm. to do this problem. It it makes it harder for them, but they were willing to take on that task. Mm -hmm. And in two years now, that has become a competitive advantage as states or cities are now banning using facial recognition right. data for this, which didn't necessarily feel like an inevitability, but felt like both the morally right thing for them to do, which would help them hire and retain better talent, um, but now has proven to be an advantage because any of their competitors that rely on facial recognition data now have one more hurdle to get over because right, they have to these, refit their yeah. systems. Although Amazon sure does love some facial recognition. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and, and They at, don't seem to mind. As it stands right now, we'll now have to butt heads with every jurisdiction. Um, right. And Because I, I think that's a I think that's a given. I okay, think so now computer that we've seen vision. The what else? Computers can see. You know, I I am so excited by elder tech mm -hmm. uh, because there's I think it's ten thousand boomers, give or take, retiring every day, and the work that it takes to do, like the actual support for this population, is not going to be automated away. There there will be parts of it. Software will do better, cheaper, faster, but I think we're going to see new industries created that allow humans that maybe in the past, like I would have, I worked a server job at Pizza Hut. Um, affable college students can now instead, uh, in this one case, be pop-up pals. And, and mm -hmm. these are basically on-demand grandkids. 
Um, oh. But the company, what? well, here it, 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 that's the sort of tongue-in-cheek explanation. But yeah. basically, vetted dad advocate. That's weird. All right, go I, ahead. It, yes, yeah, no, dad advocates is a cleaner. No, no. That's a cleaner one. But the 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 idea of Papa is there are these college students who can provide. Um, who are vetted and trained to a certain extent, but but who provide companionship. Right. They're not there to do medical work explicitly. They're there to to battle loneliness, mm-hmm. which we're finding is actually an epidemic sure, in the population. And you aren't just going to be able to wheel in a Roomba right. and be like, go ahead, Roomba, entertain grandpa. You right. need humans for these jobs. And so they can build software infrastructure to route those humans and make sure you get to these mm-hmm. houses on time and then can also fill out survey data to talk about the quality of life of the elderly person they're looking out for. Mm-hmm. But like this type of care did not exist as a type of work. And I think will emerge to be one of the largest and most valuable ones in an economy it's where an so tech. many people are retiring and need support. And it's it has to be empathetic. It has to be compassionate. It has to be done by actual humans. Yeah, yeah. well, they say those are the jobs that we'll keep. And then one last yeah. one. Give me one Please. more. Then- oh, NARA. NARA. Uh, because... Well, also, because shamelessly, you've, you've got a new child. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a daughter, which is I awesome. Yeah, you're going to give me tips. Uh, I, well, I mean, it's I don't have that much of a head start. a lot of dresses in your Instagram, oh, yeah. Twitter. Uh, There's a lot my, of dresses. My wife I'm not looking forward to it. Up. You did one the other day. I'm like, no, nothing yeah, with No, I, it's, I, I mean, she has me wrapped around her little Yes, that's little obvious. Finger. That I, is completely uh, Olympia obvious. is the best. But typical tech dude, the first thing I do is Google for best uh, app for baby tracking. Right. And they're all trash, yes, like garbage. Mm-hmm. And and we ended up meeting a, a very talented product manager, Esther. Esther put together an app of her own because she was so frustrated by how terrible it is mm-hmm. uh, to Does track all those important things. Yeah, food, diapers, everything diapers, you need. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm delighted by the fact that she's just decided, let me build this wedge by making it free because all the all the others charge. And let me just enamor myself with as many of these families as possible in these moments when they're most like bewildered because you mm-hmm. just get handed this baby and the doctor's right. like, track everything, right. see another doctor in a week. Right. And, uh, and it's a delightful modern beautiful app and it's the wedge into what I think is going to be a, a massive business around around everything. There is a uh, lot out there baby. but you're right it's terrible. They're By the way I just don't track. So Not at all? <laughs> I'm on my third You're kid. in your third so you're like, just I'm like I got this. A thing. All right, well, I used to write down a paper that's how you used to track. Yeah, like, they still sell those journals for, I know, for baby I just tracking track. and it's I don't, I just don't not at all. You're not I, you're not even tempted. To, I think not even you got at least at least my girlfriend does. She writes everything think. down. I'm okay. like that's useless. It's well, just tell like, <laughs> tell her about Nara. I don't say I, that's useless. I think it in my head because I'm really <laughs> nice this, these days. Oh, that's good. Um, but uh, but that's a great idea. No, it is. There's they're terrible. The parent yeah. parental apps are awful. And and I comparing children to fruit sizes and pregnancy apps are terrible. And they're all they're all just geared around, they're basically Selling just marketing diapers. apps. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. 100%. And so what if we took the same product acumen that makes some of the best apps we use every day for mm-hmm. stupid things and apply that towards the things that matter most, like our families? That that's, is a that's really logic. back to families. All right, yeah. when we get back with Alexis Ohanian, <laughs> advocate and keeper of information about children's diapers, mm-hmm. um, we're mm-hmm. going to talk a little bit about the downsides of this. He's the co-founder of Reddit and among the many companies that people are worried about how they impact our society at large. We'll take a break and we'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're here with Alexis Ohanian, the co-founder and managing partner of Initialized Capital. He's also the co-founder of Reddit. Yesterday, Dick, um, um, Jack, Jack got Dorsey busy. got busy yeah. and suddenly mm-hmm. was not going to take political advertising. Yeah. Now, you have been in the middle of Reddit was one of the places where so much cesspool behavior was happening and stuff like that. And it's changed a lot. And under Steve and I have had great interviews mm-hmm. to who's Steve Hoffman, who's running the company. Mm-hmm. But talk a little bit how responsible you feel of what's happened or how it's gotten where it is and where we're going with the the impact of, of social media on our society. And, and it took, uh, Jack said we were not going to collect uh, political advertising. Yeah. He's sort of making these first steps that maybe this is damaging. I thought that was really... Really interesting. Apparently, he was cribbing notes from uh, from you. Yes, he was. One hundred percent. I wrote the entire set of tweets. No, I just I've been pushing it. I'm like responsibility. Respo- yeah. I have children. That's how I think about it. Like that's a, this a is really lens. bad for yeah. for teens. It's bad for people. It's bad for society. The, as much as I love tech, the proposal that I had floated was actually just to turn political ads into a kind of Mad Libs, mm-hmm. where the only type of political <laughs> ad you could run would be person name is running for role in blank. Mm-hmm. And that was the ad unit. Like you right. you could still, they could, you could basically still take political dollars, but you were forcing people to run a very structured, very basic political ad. So you like this move because you and I have had I, discussions I like years ago move. about free speech because you guys were the free speech wing of the free speech I, party. Well, that was Twitter. Okay. And, and I think you could, you could probably look at much of the history of Reddit and the thinking around that being between... Uh, a sort of like a tussle between Steve and I when it comes to his more libertarian nature mm-hmm. and my more uh, progressive one. And I think, I think frankly, all that just comes from experience. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was born in Fort Greene. My, my mother was an undocumented immigrant mm-hmm. um, for three years. And then my dad married her and we got that resolved. But like, I, I grew up hearing stories of government cheese. My mentality about the role and responsibility of government, I think is very different from Steve's. Mm-hmm. And so... When we thought about the role that Reddit would play, I still, I did, and I still do believe that by and large, the vast majority of people are good, and I would like to see more people have more conversations, and I think the tension has just always been where we draw that line, mm-hmm. and when we were gone for five years, no one drew a line, and that was a disaster, and then once, I remember coming back in 14 and Steve in 15, we drew better lines that we should have done years earlier, but uh, I really believe Actually, Obama said it pretty well uh, just a couple of days ago where he said that, you know, the way to make change is not just winning points on Twitter. And mm-hmm. he he called out cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And and then I, I don't know if I've seen, I don't know if Twitter's decided to cancel President Obama because mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. but it definitely sent a ripple effect through at least my Twitter feed mm-hmm. um, of conversation. And I do think... I do think we're at a point now where this pendulum has to swing back and there have to be more conversations to be had. The challenge is we're now in a post-truth world. And so that's the part I struggle with reconciling because look, the stuff that is manipulating people today, the the literal fake news, like the things that are just Mm -hmm. a BS website that says so-and-so did something that's clearly fake is still tiddlywinks compared to what things like deep fakes 
and, and similar technology will bring us in the next few years. Like we will hear audio clips that are indistinguishable from the real thing that are politically damning or awful. Um, we'll see videos that are the same. And I think this is where best case scenario, the role of the media increases and we need sources to tell us what's real and what isn't. I think for a portion of the population, that is going to be a good thing because they're going to seek out the right sources. Mm -hmm. But then for another portion of the population, it will mean a bad thing. And the one future I am pretty certain of is that we're going to get more and more balkanized in these next 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the reason why I would like us to be talking more and not less because it will get easier and easier and easier to go back into our tribe. So how responsible do you feel? Not It's not, it's not Alexis Ohanian's mm-hmm. fault necessarily, but when you were making these things, mm-hmm. you know, I talk a lot about anticipation of consequences, responsibility, drawing lines. Mm-hmm. Why all of you did not draw very mm-hmm. many lines in the yeah. architecture of these things? There are definitely blind spots for mm-hmm. sure that I had, that all of us had. We all look the exact same, right? It's all straight white mm-hmm. dudes making these platforms. Yeah. Um, So our experiences, even though we may have had different experiences, are all fairly from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. And we also grew up on an idealistic, smaller internet. We grew up, right, I learned how to program because of strangers on the internet when I was in high school. I literally was just talking about this with Edward Snowden yesterday, Ah, not to drop a name, but he was talking about it. A lot of that book, and I finally realized a lot, some of his motivation is that, that Mm. he saw a different internet. I need to read it. Ed's a G. Uh, I need to listen to this interview. That admittedly was a look into a a very idealized world because at the time we really only mostly saw the best of it Mm because really most of the internet was was pretty great and and there was another level of civility and and look i on the one hand i feel like someone who's saying oh you know the good old days good old days right but it was a smaller internet right there Mm -hmm. were statistically fewer people online yeah but it also meant right, limiting the world's, one of the world's greatest inventions to a smaller number of people. So I'm happier. I want the internet to be truly ubiquitous and I want access to the knowledge there and and want not to be universally distributed because it's so important. But I think we had a a misguided view of what it could ultimately become because we saw just, we grew up with such a narrow lens of it. One of the things I always say is that some of the, when people ask me why it was designed this way, I said, because the people who designed it never felt unsafe a day in their lives. They were mm. not marginalized. They mm-hmm. never had been, uh, had had trouble. They were safe people, and so they imagined a safe world. Yeah. Then elements of misogyny leak in, elements of racism, elements, and then, then they take over. Then they take Yes. Over. So here, so I, I think largely, yes, that is true. I remember a defining moment on Reddit for me was when I encountered our first post denying the Armenian genocide. Mm-hmm. And so my father's family all survived it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not all of them, but the ones who came to America survived it. And in Turkey right now, there are tens of millions of people who all don't believe it, who deny it. I had never been exposed to that until I got to college and I met a Turkish exchange student who told me, oh yeah, that thing that you know killed your family, uh, that didn't really happen. It was just a war. It wasn't a genocide. And it was jarring because I didn't think that that could, I was mm-hmm. like, no, that's a fact. Like, I, I know it's a fact. It's a very right. painful part of my history. Um, and when I found it on Reddit, I thought on the one hand, this is awful. And, and I'm uh, like appalled by this. I don't know how I'm going to explain this to my grandparents. And at the same time, I also realized, well, we have grown enough now that we're international enough that there are really ignorant, really wrong, really hateful people using the platform. And we didn't ban it. 
Mm-hmm. And and that was really the first moment that I could feel closest to the thing that you're talking about. And mm-hmm. I still did not feel unsafe, mm-hmm. but I did get confronted right. with something so horrifying. So you didn't ban it. Why? Because I didn't think that would be the path to someone having their mind changed. And in the same way that I tried debating, and look, I didn't, I don't think I successfully debated that Turkish student in my German class at UVA. <laughs> um, I tried. It was, I mean, I tried. Yeah. And I hoped that by her seeing my pain and the evidence that that would work. But I guess I go, so yeah, back in 2001, I was confronted with fake news mm-hmm. uh, because the entire Turkish population was brainwashed and thinking a genocide didn't happen. And All right. So you yourself, go ahead. Sorry. And, and so I, I, but I hear you. Yes, we, like that was a decision that was a painful one, but I felt like it was the right one. I mean, we still don't even, actually, we just passed the thing in the house to hopefully acknowledge mm. the Armenian genocide yes, in this country. Yeah, right. But the, the Turkish lobby is strong, <laughs> unfortunately. And I think we're seeing now the globalization of information start to really distort where we as Americans even draw the line. You right. can look at Hong Kong as right. a really good example of this. And I don't know how this one plays out, Carrie. You probably have a better view on this mm-hmm. one than I do. Hong Kong? No, just broadly. How, how well, do we— Well, it's, 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 we're I, adapting— I want to know what happened at the moment. Because right now, for example, you have an African-American wife and an mm-hmm. African-American child. Mm-hmm. Yep. So much And a daughter. And a daughter. Yeah, yeah. particularly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so much hate was on Reddit around mm. uh, racial issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys finally got rid of some of it or, and mm-hmm. moved against it. When you look back on that now— this, these are members of your family they're mm-hmm. attacking. How do mm-hmm. you feel about that? Well, all of the the most egregious communities were banned pretty quickly after I got back, before I was married and had a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I have broadly, broadly been pushing back uh, really for the last four years on a number of different communities mm-hmm. and policies. Right. The reality is, yeah, I mean, if— I mean, I I woke up uh, six months ago, no, eight months ago, to a front page story on the, um, I guess, purportedly a newspaper in Australia with a caricature of my wife. Yes. And and I think it is hard, right? I, if I, my wife doesn't read any of this stuff because she can't. Mm-hmm. Like, why why should she even waste any of her time on it? She doesn't. Um, but uh, you know, when I, I I'm confronted by this, whether it is on social media platforms. Whether it's on social, whether it's on social media platforms I created, or whether it is, uh, you know, businesses, mm-hmm. newspapers in countries, we have to deal with this kind of um, sexism and racism. It exists in the world, and it pisses me off. And I, well, but here it is. You were one of the creators of these platforms. I mean, I'm, what I'm trying to get is like, what mm-hmm. is it that you know? So today, g- giving the good example of what Jack did, he's getting mm-hmm. rid of this political advertising. Then Facebook, mm-hmm. including Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg, were like. No, it's free speech. And I'm like, it's paid speech. And it's different. Targeting it is different than Donald Trump can still go on and on on mm-hmm. the platform. He just, his campaign can't, um, on Twitter at least. And mm-hmm. Twitter may be a very small portion of it, as Jack pointed out quite correctly. Facebook is where the real action happens. Mm-hmm. What goes through your head like that when you run these things? Like, we've just got to let, if everyone only talks, we are going to like each other better. What is the guiding because sometimes you're like, no, you're not. If you let people say the Armenian genocide did not happen, they are, that doesn't change their minds for you to say, yes, it did. In some instances, it can. And I, I the, the only thing that I saw, at least in that case, was 
by silencing them, it further reinforces a conspiracy in their mind mm -hmm. that people don't want to know their truth, which is the genocide did not happen. Right. And and I would rather disinfect it with more sunlight. Um, and and look, we still decide where to draw lines around content, and mm -hmm. I think that should. I mean, that always needs to evolve. So does that still work today, given how amplified, weaponized, massive these platforms are? It's fine when there's an easy internet, like, you yeah. know, it's controllable. Do you imagine that the that these companies will have to, like, at Reddit, or, I mean, I was talking to Steve, and he's like, we're thinking, you put the Trump one, the real— Quarantined it. You quarantined yes. it and might ban it. Mm-hmm. When that happens, you're mm -hmm. going to get a lot of—if that happens. But he said it's very close to banning. It's mm -hmm. very close. Should you you all be making these decisions? Or yes, maybe you should because these are your platforms. They're not public platforms. They seem I, public, yeah, but they're not. Yeah, there is. So there's already a precedent of these platforms drawing lines. Yes. And so I, it is not okay to say, like, we don't want to make any decisions about it because we all have made decisions about it. Mm -hmm. The reality will be— as those communities are banned, a number of those people churn off and sort of lose interest. But a core component of those people migrate to the next platform. Right. And so, I, I again, I think this internet is going to get more and more balkanized in the mm -hmm. next decade. Mm -hmm. And as that happens, as more of those conversations move underground, we will lose opportunities um, to actually have some engagement with those people. Mm -hmm. And so... If our best interests and my best interests are, you know, preserving the the union and and helping for a like a productive society, um, we need to be prepared for the fact that more and more people are going to migrate to more and more sort of darker corners on other platforms and other places. And we will always be whatever whatever it is, whether it's legislation or society, will always be a few years behind the curve in terms of catching mm -hmm. up with enforcing. And there has to be. At a minimum, I think there have to be more tools in place for individuals, whether it's parents uh, or just individuals themselves, to have ownership over where they or their families are spending their time. Mm -hmm. I think Tim's been pretty thoughtful about this yes. at Apple. Yeah. Um, but I think we as consumers are going to have to continue to demand it from all of our platforms. But uh, like, I don't want to sound hopeless about it, but I'd rather... People are going to seek out that confirmation bias because we yes. are human. Yeah. And we need to find ways that are effective to actually get them to change perception. And that also means you and I yes, of reading content that we don't agree with that still passes a basic like morality test. Sure. But whose morality test is what that needs to There's be? There's a difference between morality and actual lies. And a lot of it is just lies. It's just fat, flat out lies. And yeah. the problem is when they get mixed in with truth, the truth loses every every single Time. The lies are way more clickbait, yeah, than, clickbait than truth. So what do you imagine? Yeah. I want to finish up. What do you imagine mm -hmm. is going to happen? Where where are we going next? Legislation? And if you started Reddit mm. now, what yeah. would it be? I've actually spent a good part of the last year building some technology I wished that we, we had had and every other platform had using machine learning to more actively be able to fight against harassment, hate, sexualized content, um, basically letting robots do that work instead of armies of humans who are underpaid and demoralized having to look at content. And this this tech literally did not exist, could not have existed until really in the last few years. And so I do feel optimistic about automating away a lot of the enforcement of trust and safety in the next five years. A, the company's called Centropy. Um, and so I think that if I'm building another Reddit from day one today, mm -hmm. that is something I'm building it with. 
And the reason none of these platforms do it themselves is because the number one priority is growth. The next is revenue or some combination of those two. And so the best product people, the best engineers, the best designers, they're all working on those things. And so even though everyone has a kind of anti-evil team or what mm -hmm. have you, it's never enough. And, and I think this is such a pressing and important issue that you need – you need people who are actually spending every waking hour building better models and, and slurping up more and training data. do you see that happening to, to when better. I was interviewing Ben Horowitz? I was like, would you mm -hmm. inter invest? You know, you have a huge business like Facebook. Mm -hmm. Social media goes, are you kidding? Absolutely not. Would no. not invest in Facebook? Not invest in social media companies. Oh. That's why do it. Oh, it's, interesting. Well— there's mm -hmm. never going to be innovation until there's innovation, right? Yeah. Whatever the next—I mean, maybe TikTok is yeah. the, the next sea change, which is its own sort of kind of social mm -hmm. media. I think we've definitely reached—I've I've been on the record of saying we've reached peak social mm -hmm. in terms of a model of following individuals, I think, is over. I think we—and you can see TikTok does it all algorithmically, mm -hmm. and all these other platforms that are emerging are all community-based. So it's either you're actually just talking to your tribe within your like your group chat, or you're talking to your tribe within your your interest or your passion or what have you, um, or you're just having robots tell you what to look at in your feed. Mm -hmm. But this idea of the popularity contest, I think that one is a dated and expired one, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's good in a lot of ways. But then it becomes a question of okay, well, what are the communities and tribes people are self signing up to, and then what is that recommendation system giving them? Because right. we still have limited limited insight into how YouTube's works. And we know it fails a lot of the time yeah, to do the right thing. But who's who's going to hold TikTok accountable? Right, that's right. That's <laughs> the Chinese, Chinese government? Yeah. No. Um, all right, <laughs> yeah. last question. What can people do around uh, paid parental leave right now? Oh, well, uh, you should, I, this sounds so boring, but just calling up, like actually picking up the phone and calling your senators and your representative makes a difference. Let them know that paid family leave matters to you. Um, we also, I, I ended up partnering with Dove Men Plus Care and they have a pledge at dovemenpluscare.com slash pledge that you can sign. And actually, you know what? The other one is normalizing dads uh, in the office. And, and the advice is like, you know, in the idle time you have uh, before meeting starts and everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, how's your weekend? How's it good? Make an effort uh, to find the most senior dad in the room and ask them about their kids. And I want to dispel this notion that we are separate from our home life. It's it, it's not like work life, home life. Like they bleed together and they affect one another. And for men and and for dads in particular, the more of them who are normalized talking about, oh yeah, little league game this weekend, or oh yeah, we played dress up this weekend, mm -hmm. the better. And we encourage. I mean, we like I love seeing kids around the initialized office. Mm -hmm. Like I want it to be so boring and normal for a dad to be spending time with their kid that, that I no longer see a headline about myself saying that it's me babysitting my kid. Right. Right. It, and, and I think part of the way that we get there is just simply just talking about it, even just, just, uh, and perhaps have an entire uh, feed Dad about your, your child's about it. toy. <laughs> child's oh, Quay Quay. Quay Quay. Yeah. I mean, look, if <laughs> I think Quay, Quay is bigger is than the yours. true hero. She's way more popular than me. It's so yeah. fascinating. I went from being shouted uh, on the street. I'd get shouted like, hey, Reddit, to, hey, invest in my company, to, I love your wife. And to now basically Quay Quay. They Quay just Quay. shout Quay Quay at me, <laughs> uh, which is delightful. That's a perfect.
perfect it's ending, delightful. Alexis. That's where you belong. <laughs> anyway, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Kara. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Alexis, where can people find you online? And you are very online. At AlexisOhanian.com. That's Kara. right. And also, yeah. Gwei yeah, You can follow you can him and me. watch his episodes yeah. with, with uh, <laughs> dolls and uh, tutus. It's great. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with your friend. And make sure to check out our newest podcast, Reset. Just search for it in your podcasting app of choice or tap the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. <laughs> <laughs>